Emotions are great friends, but terrible masters. Hmm. And so part of being emotionally intelligent is knowing you don't necessarily, you want feelings, feelings are great friends, but terrible masters. You, you want, you know, you want it to be the caboose, not the engine driving everything you're doing. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people who want to read more books and be in a book club, but don't really have time to do either. I take care of that for you. My name's Andy. And in the podcast this week, it's the author, one of the authors of Adulting 101, Guidance for 20-somethings on becoming healthy, successful grown-ups, but really it's good for any adult. I learned a whole lot from this, and I'm sure you will too. Now, Pete, this is book two of the Adulting 101 series. What, you, you didn't cover everything in the first one? Yeah, what, what were you thinking? Book one should have been <laughs> successful enough. We didn't need any more, right? Right. Now, book one was more about the hard skills of uh, trying to grow up and, and become an adult of... Uh, professionalism, uh, interviewing, how to treat your boss, how to treat your coworkers, finances, relationships, time management, those type of things. But we realized that uh, even before we started writing this before the pandemic, and we realized that uh, adulting on the inside is a little different than getting everything together on the outside. Hmm. And so, you know, this one is much more about uh, kind of the inner life, it's much more about self-awareness, emotional intelligence, emotional maturity, how to have a healthy relationship with social media. And then the whole last second half of the book is about mental health. And, uh, and so anxiety, depression, loneliness, two chapters on each one of those. And neither Josh or I are, uh, are mental health professionals, but we recruited a team of five uh, licensed counselors, one ther- psychotherapist, you know, to kind of speak into that second half of the book. And I'll tell you, it really helped me. I mean, I, I feel like I should be an expert on counseling because I've been in counseling long enough. But uh, I, I, you know, we want to keep reminding everybody that. But we really, they were so instrumental in kind of helping us maybe give some thoughts on how do we kind of get healthy on the inside. Hmm. So there's a lot. Again, uh, we're just going to touch a little bit on this stuff. If you want to, you'll be highlighting all the a whole bunch of lines in this book. It's called uh, Adulting 101, Book Two. So let's start here. First chapter talking about knowing yourself and developing self-awareness. This just seems like something. Don't aren't we all self-aware, Pete? What? How do we become more self-aware? What's the importance of it? Yeah, Andy, the self-awareness. You know, I read this one study that said uh, self-awareness was the most important trait. And they did a 30-year study on thousands of people to be happy and to make more money. So if you want to be happy and you want to make more cash, get more self-aware. But really, it really is the most important trait to develop in your 20s because it's one of those top buttons that every other button kind of aligns with it in your work, your relationships, your family, and on. Uh, And if you have top buttons off, you know, we've, we've all had those shirts you put on a collar shirt or a blouse and you get to the end, you have a button left. You're like, wait, wait a second. And then the collar's up on your, you know, up on mm-hmm. your chin. So uh, there, there's good news and bad news about self-awareness. I think the good news is it's a skill and a trait. Mm-hmm. The bad news is it's a skill and a trait or a gift. You know, so some <laughs> people are just naturally self-aware. You know, we all have those one friend that just kind of knows how everybody's feeling and, and is really in touch with who they are and how they come across. And then we all have those, that other friend that is just a bull in a china shop that just breaks into the room, kicks down the door, doesn't leave this like wake of, you know, shattered lies behind them. <laughs> Maybe not shattered lies, but 
Uh, self-awareness is, is so important. I, I think of Andy, this, this story, I was leading a team at James Madison university and we had just started this thing called young life college at, at the university. And so we, we had worked so hard for a, like a month. I mean, we had, you know, done fifth, uh, t- 10 events, 10 days in a row for this welcome week. And then we took a hundred kids away on a retreat and I had this little tiny team of five college students and professor. And I brought sparkling cider because not all of them were 21 to our team meeting four or five weeks into like, and those little uh, flute champagne glasses to like mm. celebrate. I'm thinking you guys, we have won the Super Bowl already. And all these people were looking at me just like angry, you know, worn mm. out, tired, exhausted. I had pushed them beyond the brink and mm. I tried to like sneak that stuff back in my bag, but, uh, I, I, I showed a very unself-aware moment hmm. and I had a blind spot. I had a blind spot to kind of seeing how my team was doing again, good and bad news, blind spots. Everybody has them. the good news, the bad news. Everybody has them. And so hmm. I think part of what you can do to really build self-awareness, you know, and we, we do, I think we have a list of 10 or 12 things, but I'll highlight two or three is one to start to reflect you know, to journal. And I know a lot of people journal uh, or don't journal and kind of think, I don't really need that. But high capacity leaders, one of the things that have been shown that they have, you know, in in common is that they journal and reflect on the day before. Another thing to do to increase self-awareness is to start to really ask people how you come across. It's weird to ask people, you know, that you work with or that you, you have to trust them uh, but hey, how am I coming across here? Or <laughs> I, I know there's one one of my friends. She's a CEO. She asks people all the time, "Hey, how are how are you experiencing me?" <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that's you know, it's just learning. And I, I kind of put this into we we would evaluate our volunteer leaders in Young Life um, each semester. But I instead of me evaluating them, which I still did, I also gave them some some space to evaluate me. And I said, "What am I missing? What am I not getting? Where are my blind spots?" And this helps. I, I don't. You know, my, my advice is just to write them down and figure out the amount of truth in them later, because my, my, my core reaction is just to be so defensive. Mm-hmm. Like, well, wait, wait a second. That's not true. How could that, you know? Um, and then I'd say the last thing is really to, uh, to kind of develop your inner circle, your board of directors, some people that really uh, can, you know, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to be self-aware if you don't have some people that really know you at a deep level. Um, and also I think all the, personality tests and assessments, uh, they're really helpful. You know, we don't want to put too much value in those, but I think you should take a bunch of those and uh, like, you know, Strength Finders or Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. I think they're all helpful in kind of getting to know yourself and being able to uh, really know your own emotions and know others as well. And so you you touched on it a little bit there, but uh, so once you kind of know yourself, then to, to know others, you talk about emotional intelligence, which is this word that I don't know. I know it's been around a while, people. I don't know if I've just been noticing it everywhere the last year or so. And, you know, and what does that take to have that emotional intelligence to then know others? Yeah. So emotional intelligence, EQ, some say IQ, you know, intelligence quotient, EQ, emotional. There's also CQ, like cultural uh, intelligence kind of, but EQ is the you know, ability to recognize your own emotions and also recognize the emotions in others. So it's, it's deeply root. It's, it's deeply uh, related to self-awareness for sure. They're a little different, 
Um, but emotional intelligence is something that, uh, that also is something in work, home, relationships, family, it's going to be one of the most important things because people that are highly emotionally intelligent succeed. That's just the truth. They know how they're coming across. They know who, uh, they know how people are feeling and blind spots can often disguise, uh, you know, if you have a blind spot, it can really impair you. And that, that can be in all facets of life. And so, you know, this is, if you're working in an office, my bet is that in, for every single person in the office, there's at least one thing that almost everybody knows about them that they don't actually know about themselves. Hmm. And that's the kind of self-discovery journey that we're all on to figure out what are those blind spots and then can we work on them? And that's the best thing. Emotional intelligence. Again, there are people that are gifted emotionally intelligent, just like there are people that are gifted with IQ. There's people that are gifted with EQ, but it's also a skill that we can really build and you can really be real. You can really get your emotional intelligence to be a robust um, asset in your life. And so, that, you know, wherever you all fall on that spectrum, I think, that, you know, there's still some things too. Um, one of the things is to kind of identify patterns in, in your behavior. If, if you feel like if you're ever saying, well, here we go again, that's maybe something to pay attention to. Hmm. If you're having disproportionate reactions, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was sitting in line at a Chick-fil-A and the line wasn't really uh, crafted right. Somebody came in a side door and kind of got in line in front of me. And I was like seething. I'm like, what's wrong with me? It couldn't matter less. But something else is going on. You know, like we almost look, start to identify some of those signposts um, and they might be pointing at something else that you want to look at. You know, one of my favorite quotes is emotion. Emotions are great friends, but terrible masters. Hmm. And so part of being emotionally intelligent is knowing you don't necessarily, you want feelings. Feelings are great friends, but terrible masters. You, you want, you know, you want it to be the caboose, not the engine driving everything you're doing. So let's go here. Um, part of adulting, and I'm still working on this as a middle-aged adult, is I, I like you have a chapter about leading others, but you know, in, in my position, I'm not in a position of management at my work. So I think sometimes for people like me, it's easy to say, oh, I don't need to lead others. But um, talk a little bit about how you can lead others no matter you know, what. It really, you don't, it doesn't depend on your position, right? It's, it's something you can do wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I'm so glad you brought that up, Andy, because a lot of our 20-something friends are entering into the workforce, and you don't usually go in managing people. You don't usually go into this big position of leadership. You go in at the bottom, and they just graduated college, or maybe they graduated high school, and they're going to work. And, you know, that, that's uh, – I, I read this stat the other day. 72% of Gen Z believes they should be promoted within the very first year working in, in, in the marketplace. And, the world. and it's like, that's, that's, that's setting up your expectations for severe disappointment right from the start. Like mm -hmm. you probably won't be, uh, you're probably not going to be promoted right away. And so, um, but this is the very, very, very important. A lot of what you will be doing is, you know, you, you will be crafting, you're leading, you know, even if you're not by, by title or direct line authority, everyone is leading and, the way we do that is people see you and 
I think you, you can still lead, even if you're kind of the last person or the bottom of the food chain in your office or your work, whatever job you have. Uh, I think, you know, hard work, hard work uh, shows a leadership trait that, uh, and then also looking out for others. We can lead by serving others. It's crazy in our workplace, not caring who gets credit for something. And I, I know this is a little bit counterintuitive, but if you'll serve and actually help others succeed in the long run, you will actually succeed in work. And it's counterintuitive because we're taught from an early age, look out for yourself, mm-hmm. climb that ladder. If you need to step on somebody's head to get up that ladder, keep doing it. And that's just not true. It's not true in reality. And so, and you know, we know that we know that uh, servant leadership has kind of come um, been kind of trendy the last 30 years, but you know, we, Jesus was doing servant leadership a long time ago. And he kind of, you know, basically invented it that if you want to be great, put yourself at the bottom. If you want to be first, put yourself last. If you want to live, come and die. And so I think that's, if you'll embed that, if you're 20 something and you'll embed that in, in your kind of, in your leadership core, you will have success in work. It might not be immediate. It might not be after the first year, but you will, you will have success in your work. Hmm. Talking with uh, Pete Hardesty, the book is called Adulting 101, Book 2. And uh, something even from, you know, as you we were talking before, uh, we ta- I talked to you a few years ago about Book 1. Boy, the change in uh, how much we're on our screens has just, especially with the pandemic and everything like that. So I love that you have a whole chapter about healthy screen time. So how do we have healthy screen time? What does that look like? Andy, I wish I knew, honestly. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I still wrestle and struggle with this. I'm, I'm on my phone too much. I'm on, uh, I'm on you know, either the iPad or computer too much. But I think, um, you know, this is funny. It's, we have two or three chapters around kind of screen time, social media. How do we figure this out? Um, so after the first book, uh, one of my friends set up a book signing for me. I didn't ask her to, but at a Barnes and Noble and I'd never done it. I thought, Oh, this is fun. So I'm going to the Barnes and Noble, um, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I get there one thirty. got stacks and stacks of books. It's like, it's like 50 books mm-hmm. and a big banner that says, welcome author Pete Hardesty. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. So we get all set. Book signing starts at two. Two fifteen comes. No one. A couple of people have come in, but nobody's coming to the table. Two thirty comes. Two forty-five. Three p.m. comes. An hour. I've been sitting at this table. Guess how many books I had signed? Zero. Not one. Not one sold. Not one signed. I'm like, <laughs> I called the manager over, and I was like, Hey, I think her name is Jenny. Jenny, um, have you ever had a book signing where you sold zero books? She said, Yeah, we had one of those. I said, You're about to have another. Uh, I'm not going out like that. I texted some friends and said, you better get over here. Just erase my number out of your phone. And so they got over, we we ended up selling some that second hour because there was like some people around the table, kind of fun thing. I post that. And I said, Hey, no, no book sold first hour. My most liked post of any social media I've ever done. Because I think it kind of, it, it kind of, Um, scratched an itch of everything we watch on screens is not usually real life, Mm. you know? And so I don't know whether you want to talk about social media in a minute, but we can talk more about that. But screen time, 
you know, and we go into detail in our chapter about this, and we, we really tried to have some research about it. it. It is making us dumber as people. It's altering the physiology and the biology of our brains. It's making us not as deep thinker. I mean, to surf the internet, to cruise and get information like that. It's doing these things to us. And, but, you know, we keep coming back for more. It's engineered. A lot of the sites run, a lot of social media platforms, they're engineered to be addictive. They want us to kind of go, you know, to scroll more, the infinite scroll, to look at more, to see more, to discover more, and just mindlessly scroll. And we, we go, we talk about this in the book as well. A lot of the CEOs and senior leadership of these uh, social media sites do not allow their children to be, even have an account or be on it because they know it's not productive, it's not beneficial. So we, we talk about how to control this beast, how to control our screen time a little bit. Um, and we go, I think we have a top 10 or top 15 of that, but I'll, do, I'll give you two or three. One is to schedule your time schedule your actual screen time during the day because most of us don't think intentionally about it at all. I know I don't. I, I tr I'm trying to now, but I haven't figured this out, Andy. I got a lot, a long way to go. I've come a long way, but I have a long way to go. And so I just kind of, whenever I have a down, down moment, I'm usually just going on my phone, scrolling on Instagram or something. That's my favorite one. But if you schedule your time, you decide how much do I want, how much time do I want to spend in front of a screen today? Now I'm not talking about work. I know some of us have to do that, but our leisurely time, what, how much do you want to? And let's go towards that. The airplane mode button on our phones can be our best friend. You know, when we put that on and turn it over and, you know, get it, I even have to move my phone out of arm's reach to get it away from screen. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I'm, that's embarrassing. I'm a grown man, Andy. <laughs> and I, 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 my willpower is such, if it is within reach. Now, if I had to stand up and walk across the room, I might not, it's not as likely. I've done it to just go across, start scroll, scrolling again. Um, and I think just two more, turn off all notifications, uh, all social media notifications. I have most of mine off. I have a couple of friends who have done it and they said it changed their life. And it's really helped me even, I only have one or two left, but almost all notifications. And guess what? I don't miss anything super important. I still don't. Um, last thing is this, this just is, has been really helpful to me not to look at my phone or a screen last thing at night or first thing in the morning. Most of us, at least me, roll over. Where's my phone? Let me get on that for a little bit. I might look at news, but really I'm going to look at email and I'm going to look at social media. And I try, I really, I have it. I, I have my phone in charging in another, I don't keep it in the bedroom. It's mm -hmm. in another room. And I try to do two hours in the morning without looking. I'll look at it first just to make sure, you know, nothing's wrong or nothing happened, no crisis. But sometimes that, two minutes turns into 20, but then I try to go two hours without it. And so I can do what I want to do in the morning. Hmm. So I can maybe have some time to have uh, some spiritual edification, maybe read the Bible, pray, read outside or read another book, exercise. I tried, you know, so I'm still working on it. I got a long way to go, but those are some things that have helped me. I think this ties into to what you talk about next in the book, being indistractable. So how do we become indistractable. I know uh, screens are part of it, stepping away from that, but what else have you found that really helps you just focus in a world that can't seem to do that at all? Yeah, there's, there's a book. Um, I'm going to mess up his uh, last name, but uh, I think it's near Eyal, near Eyal, um, called Indistractable. And that's like, 
that book was very helpful, very practical. It's kind of like you, you just, you know, it lays out, you know, what you do, how you do it. Because I think we move from a position of time management to now it's focus or attention management. Because we've all put something in our calendar for two hours. Hey, we, we got the time allocated towards it. But in that two hours, if we're scrolling on our phones or just, or just like looking, looking through Facebook or something, we don't, we've messed, we've missed it. You can, you can, you can have two hours, you can time, you can manage your time well, but now really the greatest resource is like energy and attention management. And so, you know, he, there's so many great tips in that book. And we have, I think we have a whole chapter on it, uh, on, on how to become indistractable. Uh, One of the things that you want to do is to, he, he would say, turn off all notifications on your phone and your computer and to have blocks during the day that you that are reserved for um, the most important tests. They call it the MIT. And he would say to attack the MIT first thing in the morning. If there's if you if you only could get, you know, do one thing in per day, what is that thing? You attack, you give it all your energy, and then everything you get done after that is almost gravy on it. So he also this this was helpful to me to move, you know, I used to have. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, boom, all all the Twitter right on my home screen on my phone. He says, hey, move those over to the second or even third screen if you have an iPhone or Android, you know, to swipe through to your apps and then put them in a folder. Title that folder like amusement or waste time wasters. Or, (laughs) you know, Andy, if you just put that stuff in a folder, for some reason, the iPhone reads it, it'll say productivity. It's almost like a joke. <laughs> and Apple was like, hey, let's put this in productivity. It's so weird. If you try it, it'll automatically. And then put them even on the second or third of the folder on the second or third screen of your phone. So it's not just something where you just go to it. He said, that's if you're, if you really want to be ruthless with it, you can actually take them off your phone altogether. And you have to go to your laptop or on your iPad to look at Instagram or Facebook or whatever your favorite social media platform is. I haven't gone that far. I want to go that far. I'm, I'm going that direction, but my, I, I have put them and it does help. But now you, I, in my sleep, I can be like, <laughs> I can get to them because I've done that so many times. Right. <laughs> it does help just to put some extra steps in to be intentional around how are you indestructible and indistractable. And then one thought at work is he, he even has in the book kind of some designs for a sign you put up in your office, because you might work in a cubicle, you might work, you, if you have your own office, you can maybe close the door, but a lot of 20-somethings don't. That's, that's, that's a luxury, you know, and, but now you might be working from home, but if you're working in a cubicle setting or a place that's hard to be private, he said, either go outside if you're allowed to, outside the office or to another office, maybe you can go into a conference room, close the door, or he says, put up a sign that says, I'm indistractable for the next 30 minutes. Please, no interruptions except for crisis or, you know, his language is really good for it. So that's helpful, I think, because it's just about getting, it's just about getting a time where you can focus a hundred percent and so much, you know, you close your email, you close your, uh, you know, social media apps and you focus on someone. And it's rare that we do that now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of thoughts. One more thing. Um, again, so we've really talked about the first half. The second half is great too, with you know talking about anxiety and depression, loneliness. 
Uh, that's all in the book, Adulting 101, book two. Very important, but um, with just a few more minutes left, I thought one thing I wanted you to share on is at the very end of the book, you talk about true peace. I think through all of this, it's so easy, Pete, just to look at, hey, if I do X, Y, and Z, and I think there's this idea with a, a book like Adulting, well, hey, this is how I'm going to have a great life. Well, these things are going to help you out, but really it comes down to we're all looking for that true peace. So if you want to share a little bit about that, I thought it'd be great. That's great. Well, you could sum up the second half of the book, Andy, just by saying it's okay not to be okay. Hmm. You know, because most people aren't okay. In fact, all people aren't okay. We all have our problems. We all, have, you know, and that's, and really you can come, it comes back to sin. We live in a broken world. Hmm. And so it's sin has affected us all. We're kind of all have something wrong in our brain, something wrong in our heart. And, you know, sins that we've committed, sins that have been committed to us, done to us, um, so I will say that um, we kind of have, we, we share testimonies from people who have wrestled with this. I share personally from my struggle with anxiety over a long haul um, and anxiety affects over a third of young people right now. That's from NIH over a third in a very, very significant way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like where you, you know, either professional help or counseling and mental health was fragile before the pandemic. And now the anxiety, depression, loneliness were soaring before. Gen Z has been called the loneliest generation in history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we kind of the last, we don't really have a ton of mention of faith or God or Jesus. We think that the, all the truths that we share in the book are from that. But then the last chapter, we felt like we to talk about adulting on the inside and not talk about where Josh and I come from and what we believe is the key to true eternal success we'd be kind of, we'd be missing the boat. And so one of the, one of the big things is that your identity is received, not achieved. Mm. And that, that's the inner peace. And to really find that inner peace, I mean, you can follow Jesus and still really have big time struggles with anxiety, loneliness, uh, depression, maybe some other mental health. It's not like we just, you know, Jesus is not some magic pill you just take and all of a sudden we're running through fields and like lilies are growing up as <laughs> Um, but he does offer in a very real way security and a peace that passes all understanding that's like nothing else on this earth. And part of that is learning that our identity as a son or daughter of, of the most high king has been, uh, re- we receive it. It's been given to us that we, it's not something we have to strive and to go for. Um, and, you know, I still know some people who, follow Jesus and they still wrestle with anxiety. But I will say that there are tactics in the world and there are tactics, there are spiritual tactics around anxiety. And I think, um, you know, that you can definitely, the the great, the great news is that almost everybody that really goes after, you know, these tactics does find relief and does find help, but true peace will not be found unless you find it in this God who loves you more than we could ever imagine. And that's kind of where it ends up. So the whole book is appropriate for anyone of any faith or no faith, but at the, just the very last chapter, I think we make a, um, we, we kind of make a very low pressure kind of, Hey, here's what, where we're coming from. Uh, and so that's, that's where we end, end the book. When pain is a weight choking our breath, when suffering is a gaping wound in our chests, When grief is a shapeless darkness against which we helplessly flail, what does it mean to walk with God? 
Ayrton just uh, asks that question and then tries to answer it. In an honest exploration of God in our grief, he walked this journey losing his wife to a journey with cancer. The book is called Either Way Will Be All Right, and that's in the 30-second book club coming up in two weeks.